Have you ever longed to escape reality or fantasized about stepping into someone else's shoes, even for just a little while? Hi, I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Hawley. We host CBC's Play Me, the immersive podcast that transforms theater into addictive audio fiction. Join us for a new season and disappear into a world rich with drama, where every show delivers hypnotizing stories and unveils intriguing characters with secrets. Play me wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. So I was walking into our studio to talk to Logic, like one of the biggest rappers in all of pop music, and someone stopped me and said, you're talking to Logic? Like, I thought, I thought he retired. So I came in and I asked him about it, and he told me how bullying on the internet forced him into retirement, what he learned, and why he's back. That's coming up. Plus, Preston Pablo, this is a guy who not that long ago was deer hunting with his dad, and now he's playing the biggest stages in the country and has one of the biggest songs in the country. And Preston is rightfully asking himself a lot of questions. Why me? Do I deserve all this? He'll be here to tell you how it happened and what he's still grappling with. Preston Pablo, coming up. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. If you don't know Logic, uh, he's a huge deal in hip-hop and pop music. Some of his songs have millions of streams. Some of his songs have hundreds of millions of streams. One of his songs has over a billion streams. This one. I don't want to be alive I don't want to be alive I just want to die today I just want to die That is Logic and 1-800-273-8255, which is the number of the U.S. Suicide Prevention Hotline. And he'll talk about that song in, in just a little while. The thing you need to know about Logic, and one of the things that really stands out when you talk to him, is that this is someone who grew up in poverty, surrounded by crime and addiction and violence, and he made a conscious decision to make, we'll say, optimistic music. And he says that's not just because it helps sell records, but because when you focus on positivity and optimism, even in the face of of great trauma, it can actually help you. It can help you process what you've been through. I feel like it took, to be honest, Logic and I, like a couple of minutes to settle in to this interview. But once we did, I feel like I learned so much. Heads up, this conversation does touch on trauma and suicide. Here's my conversation with Logic. Congrats on the new record. Congrats on the first album as an independent artist, too. What does that mean to you? Man, independent debut. It's pretty fire. I kind of feel like I somehow, like, you know, so being independent and all my stuff being distributed through BMG, I feel like I robbed someone. I don't know how to explain it. I, I feel as though a decade, you know, on a major label really lets you know how much artists get screwed. And being here, I just have just the ultimate sense of freedom, let alone the fact that I own my masters. I like it because it. I have been feeling reflective about your career listening to this record. And it, it's. And oh, wow. I'm glad to get a chance to reflect with you. Can you talk to me a little bit about, I guess, how music came into your life in the first place? You know, it came into my life as a source of therapy when I realized I could actually do it and it made me feel something, you know, like I remember one of the first songs I wrote, it's horrible, terrible song. And I'm like 14. And then my dad takes me to an open mic 
and my heart is pounding out of my chest. And I'm just like the mad rapper. I'm like red in the face and a vein in my forehead is going to explode. And I'm like, yo, it's psychological, man. And I'm just doing this whole thing. But I never will forget the feeling of like, whoa, I just like got up and like performed. I did that with other people who did it who are way better than I am. And I was like, I really love this because it's not only an outlet on stage, but on the page, <laughs> it just rhymed. So like, you're a rapper. Come yeah, on. That's what, yeah. that's what it is. Nikki can't help it. You know, <laughs> it's true. But literally, dude, like it's my therapy. It's why I do it. Even when I was retired <laughs> for like six days, I, uh, I wrote like dozens and dozens of songs over three years that ended up being college park. And I do it because it's, it's my biggest source of, of, of therapy. I love it. I'm in love with it. I'm enthralled. I think the only thing I love more is my son and my wife. Honestly, that's it. When you say you knew it was therapy and it was therapeutic, and we're going to talk about that like retirement and all that stuff a little bit later. But when you say you knew it was therapy, when did you know that, I actually, I, I might want to make this my job. I might want to make this the way I, you know? Yeah. So I was like 18, I think. And by then I had had hundreds of songs and about 19 is when I went all in and I just realized like, this is what I want to do. Now, most people look at rap entertainment in general, rock and roll, right? It's like, oh, sex, drugs, rock and roll, man. You know, hip hop, biz and boats and hoes. And it's like, no, I never saw it that way. I saw it as the opportunity to build a brand. And I truly wholeheartedly believe that with persistence, determination, realism, and wanting success more than your next breath, a human being could literally attain anything. But a giant word there is realism. So when I was like, I want to be one of the biggest rappers in the world, it's not really what I said to myself. I didn't say that. Like I was like, I want to be a rapper. Like I want to be a musician. I want to make it in rap. And then I started to... I was like, well, what do I like? What is it? You know, and I'm not popping at all. Mac Miller's up there. You know, uh, uh, Wiz Khalifa's popping. Kendrick Lamar's got his first mixtape out. J. Cole's got mixtapes. And I'm watching these guys and they're on YouTube and on Dat Piff, which is a, a spot where we would release our free mixtapes and all this stuff. And I look at what they're doing and I go, they're doing it. I can do it. If they're doing it, I can do it. And then I just started posting my own stuff. Talking to, you know, fans and and friends on on Twitter and building this thing while doing open mics and all that. And little by little, I started to realize, oh, my God. And the biggest thing coming down to being a rapper and building a brand, I was like, there's nobody like me. I mean, let's just be real here. There's nobody. I am the blackest white guy you've ever seen in your life. Like, there is no other rapper in the game with this genetic makeup that looks like okay like it is what it is eminem great congratulations there's many white guys before you so it's like you're the goat but there is no biracial guy like me so i just like leaned into being myself where do i fit in where did i writing about that how many people out there don't got issues me writing about my dad my mother alcoholism abuse like stuff that other people were scared to talk about sexual abuse like just the craziest shit nobody really was doing it like that. So I was like, wow, this is it. And if I focus on being me and just double down on being me, I'm going to win. And here I am a decade later, just doubling down even more. I mean, that, that's so profound to me that like you, you found your lane, you sort of knew 
what you might have that other people might not have, the parts of your life that might historically be seen as like uh, a mark against you, you see it as like something you can take advantage of, something you can differentiate yourself with. And I find that interesting because there, there are parts of this record that aren't songs that I find really interesting. They're like sketches on this record that I find really interesting because you you play yourself reenacting the events leading to your first performance. I, I want to play one of them. Take a listen. Yo, it's like four o'clock. We got to go pick up Castro. You're performing tonight. Yo, Lenny, I just had the craziest dream, bro. About what? Yo, I was on a song with RZA, man. It was crazy and weird. I, I can't really remember it. Hey, you know what would be really crazy? If you got the whole clan on a song one day. <laughs> yeah, right, Lenny. Got to get out this basement first. It's from Logic's new album, College Park. Logic's my guest. Tell me this. What's it like to reenact the early stages of your career now that you're not in those places anymore? I don't know. We should ask Eminem. <laughs> I feel like this is like my eight mile. It's like literally it's a biopic on an album. It's like an audio biography <laughs> kind of vibe. Um, I think the coolest part about it, if I'm being honest, is like, like that anybody even gives a shit. Like if I'm being real, like it's so cool that I'm at a place in my career as a rapper who's now like an older rapper at 33, which is weird to think because I'm young. But like the fact people are even excited for a story that they already know, like my diehard fans already know this story, that makes me happy because they also – it means that I've marketed it right because what it is is it's it's like going to Star Wars land. You get to be a Jedi, man. You get to hang out with Luke. So it's like me and all my homies – you're in the car with us. You put these headphones on and you feel like, you know, even just the spatial audio of where we're sitting when you put headphones on. It's incredible that I've been able to bring these fans uh, on this journey with me, let alone the fact that I'm lucky enough to say I've made it out of that. It's not exactly the same. Some of it's exaggerated, just like we do with memories, right? It's yeah. a real thing. Yeah. Like, we could be so certain that like this is how something happened yeah. and then your mom could be like, dude, what are you talking about? That yeah. happened on like a TV show you watched, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so – but for the most part, yo, yes, the feeling was awesome because my buddy Castro was in jail for like four years. He's in prison. So we had already – we hadn't talked for like six years and then he got locked up and and this was my best friend in the basement. And then, you know, he changed his life around, his perspective and I couldn't be more proud of him. He's honest. He's open even if it's something that, you know, one could be – find disappointment in an action or this or that. And the fact that he's so open and vulnerable now have allowed us to be brothers even closer, let alone Lenny who – housed me when I was homeless and had nowhere to live in that basement that is the album cover. In a way, I'm reliving this and the feeling is euphoric and funny and it's like, wow. I mean, it's it's a, it's a really... It's a really, really beautiful story. I mean, yeah, Kevin Smith's involved with this with this record, the music video. For, like, you know, and I'm sure that was a big part of your life growing up too, you know. that It is sort of a, a return, you know. Dude, Seth MacFarlane, like, you know, if he, getting Seth MacFarlane, the voice, the creator of Family Guy, American Dad, uh, uh, Cleveland Show, Ted, it, one of my favorite singers in the world. And he's just on this singing. Like, what? Like, with Red Man and Static Selecta, and then you have Seth MacFarlane singing like Sinatra? Bro, I'd be having – I got to kick myself in the head sometimes. I can't believe how lucky I am. This is – what? Can I can I ask about the, the come up as you were talking about earlier? Like yeah. – 
what I and I I don't know your story as as well as the hardcore fans do. So so help me out a little bit with this. My my understanding of it from being familiar with your music over the years and doing a bunch of research to get ready for this today, and like knowing knowing your music and, and especially here in Canada, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, is that you you had gone through incredible hardship. You had you know you had gone you had been surrounded by violence and you had been you know, surrounded by really challenging situations. You get – one of the things you get branded as in addition to all the things you mentioned before is sort of an optimistic rapper. You get – you get – you know, you, you, your music is talked about in a very optimistic way. My question was, is that a choice to find yourself surrounded by kind of hard things in your life? Is that a choice to say I'm not really going to talk about that as much as I want to focus on on other things? I want to focus on positivity. You know – I, I think that's a really incredible way to look at it. I agree. And I also think I actually leaned into a lot of the depiction of the negativity, but more so how to get out of it as well. So I think as equally as I talk about it's okay, you can make it. I also talk about what you can make it through. Um, sometimes it's a generalization because – Guess what, man? We all got problems and champagne problems are still problems. So it's kind of about how you word something. You know what I mean? I've got records where I talk about, you know, sexual assault, witnessing my mother getting beaten bloody, my dad doing drugs, guns in and out of the house, drugs, cooking crack, like the craziest stuff. Now, a lot of people probably can't relate to that. So I have to always tell my truth and be honest. But then on another song... Instead of being like, man, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this roach-infested crack house, I'll be like, man, I really want to follow my dreams, but sometimes it feels like it's hard. <laughs> and I just – it's a more of a generalization. Um, so, I, yeah, I definitely focused on the optimistic side of things. But if I'm being even more transparent with you, bro, like I started – as I said, it was very therapeutic. So I'm writing, I'm writing rap songs like, yo, you can get out of it. You can make it no matter what you're going through, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, you can, you can be great. I wasn't talking to anybody. There was nobody listening to me. I was just recording music. I was talking to myself. I'm saying you can do it, bro. You can, because there was nobody there to tell me that. And then lo and behold, oh my goodness, I start getting fans and they're like, thank you for your music. Like that means so much to me. Thank you for telling me that I can make it out. And in my mind, I'm like, I never told you that. And then I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like I realized what just happened. And then, you know, I meet fans who start saying things like you saved my life. And I'm like, what? I saved your life. How could I ever save your life? And then they give me examples and then they talk about it. And then I go, well, could you imagine if I actually wrote a song and tried to save your life? And then we have 1-800. So it's like, I think all art is from the most selfish one of one in the mirror place. Doesn't matter who you are, whether you're, you know, Da Vinci yeah. or Prince. Yeah. Like you're doing your art for you. Yeah. And then yeah. Yeah, but that 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 doing I really appreciate that. The the doing your art for you can be both like I need to tell myself that I can keep going when I find myself in a precarious situation. It can also be quite literal. There's a line in the in, on your on your record that really jumped out to me. It's on it's on wake up and you write about um, having a, having a gun in your hand and realizing you don't want to be that person and turning yeah. to writing instead. What is it? It's like I had a gat in my hand. I had a gat in my hand, but I didn't want to be that man. Look in the mirror, couldn't see that man. 
pick up the pen, never stick up the men, only pick up the stick if I need to defend. If I did it back then, might have dropped dead. So yeah, it's it's basically like taking that that leap and realizing in the moment that something is wrong, which is very odd because I don't know where that comes from. You know, a lot of people they say like, "How did you know?" You know, your brothers are running around shooting guns and selling drugs. How did you? And I was like, "Dude, I don't know. I just saw that and was like, this isn't right." Somebody put a gun in my hand and I held it, shot it. I was like, oh, no. You know what I mean? Like, oh, cooking drugs. No. And I just, I just, I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. I I mean, I say it's a God and common sense. And I'm not even a religious man. I believe in something bigger than myself for sure. You know what I mean? But it's not a white guy on a cloud. Do you ever look at your kid and realize what a different upbringing they're going to have than the one you had? Every day, bro. Like literally, literally. I look at my son and I have memories from when I was my son's age. How old is your son? Can I ask? Yeah, he's three. Yeah. And I have memories of, you know, my mom half naked and bloody being dragged down the stairs by the police, like the craziest stuff. And I also think like being in drug infested households, cigarette smoke everywhere, drugs being cooked, you know what I mean? All this in my little cute little lungs as a baby. And I look at my son and I'm like, dude, how could they have done that to me? You know what I mean? But I don't dwell on it too much. That's the other thing. I don't like stress. Like, yes, of course, I got problems. I got issues. You know, I wish my dad threw catch and, you know, took me fishing. And that just, it didn't happen. But I, I don't dwell on it. I'm not like, oh my, you bastard. And dad, I, like, and I'm just like, bro, it didn't happen. What can I do? I can't do you know what I can do? Do the best that I can to break the cycle and play catch with my son. Like that's all I can do. I can't just sit here and just reminisce and reminisce and reminisce like I'm in Nam. I can't. I'm like every step. I'm like, I got to get back to the shit, man. <laughs> like, it's like, no, dude. Like just let it go. Yeah. Focus on the present. Yeah. Blessed with what you have and that's it. Well, well, and the other thing you can do, and you, you referenced this earlier, is try to use your story to help other people. So can you fill in the blanks for what you were talking about before? Like it's, it's worth talking about 1-800, not just because it's it's a really massive, gigantic song. Uh, this is the song, uh, for people who don't know, the song you did named after the phone number for the American National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. I've been on a low, I've been taking my time. I feel like I'm out of my mind. I feel like my life ain't mine. Who can relate? Woo! Also, uh, we have a particular affinity for it here because it featured Alessia Cara, who's from Brampton, Ontario. This is a Canadian show. We're really, really proud of of Alessia. But you were saying that you – I don't know the story of how you wrote the song. You wrote it because you had gone through some stuff and you wanted to figure out, like, what would it sound like if I wrote a song that helped people? I – it was 2015. I got a tour bus. Uh, My second album was two weeks away from coming out called The Incredible True Story. And the narrative was – mainly based around some sci-fi fun futuristic nerdy spaceship because i was really you know just leaning into being me even more than ever and on this tour that i did it was a fan tour where i took this bus from los angeles to new york city and i went to see fans all over the country surprising them eating with them their families playing them the music and i mean like a majority of these people after i played the album were like your music saved my life. And then they went in to d- describe like, and truly explain why and how and where they were. And I was just so inspired by this. I was like, yo, this is crazy. Like I did not try to save your life. And in a way they were like, and that's why it's so 
powerful. You were just being yourself. You know what I mean? Now with this knowledge, I was like, I want to do something special. And so I'm working on my third album at this, you know, after this called everybody, I had already begun it. You know, it's like, I'm always albums ahead, honestly. And I remember putting in a lot of work and I had this idea and it was originally just called suicide cliche, whatever, to the point, that's what I was going to call it. You know what I mean? And, uh, it was the last song I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this because I'm, I'm the type I, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. I'm a very sensitive person. So it's like, if I'm going to write a record like this, tears will be shed. Like it's going to be very difficult. You know what I mean? From my own experience around the subject to others, you know, and just hard times, it's going to be a difficult thing to write. And I remember it's the last song and I wrote it and I had to, I thought about, I didn't even think, no, I was never like, I gotta make this catchy. Like literally, bro. Like I'm making a song about suicide. Nobody's like, it's about to go off in the club tonight. <laughs> like nobody's thinking that. Okay. So, and I remember the only thing that people really thought about the song when it was all said and done was how special it was. People were like, wow, that's a special one on the album. I don't want to be alive. And I'd been chasing the radio for years and years, every album, every album, making songs I didn't even really like. I was just kind of, oh, what's Schoolboy Q doing or what's so-and-so doing? Because I'm I'm young and I'm just trying to be, I just want to hit record for whatever reason, even though I had had hit albums. That was what I, I was so lucky is like I had hit albums with a fan base and I was catering to that base. And then when I basically was like, ah, screw it, I'm over it. That's when this song you know, that my manager, Chris actually was like, you should call it by the phone number, by the national lifeline. And I was like, that's genius because we could really help people. And lo and behold, I mean, a couple of months ago, I got a letter from Congress stating that it is, it is a fact that my song has saved lives around the world. You know what I mean? And that I can't believe it. And I'm going to be honest. There was a time when I like was upset that this was my song. Because I don't, I don't, I don't think it matters who you are when you have like your first big hit. I think you hate it, <laughs> like, yeah. Because it's just all the time, all the time, all the time. But this was deeper, man. This was death and death and death and death and death. And that's and hard I, on you, like that you have to carry that. Yeah, bro. Because I'm empathetic, you know. So I'm like, damn, this is like really hard to deal with. But especially time and time away and through COVID and all this, I'm like, I. And I got hits, you know, I got records with Eminem, yeah, I got yeah, songs you're doing by okay. myself, yeah, you know, yeah. but I love that I'm going to be known as the mental health guy and the guy with a positive message for the rest of my life. I am honored at that, in fact. More of my conversation with Logic coming up in a little while. We're going to talk about why he retired for a little bit, but I thought we could listen to that song he was just talking about there, the song with over a billion streams on Spotify. This is 1-800-273-8255. I've been on a low, I've been taking my time. I feel like I'm out of my mind. I feel like my life ain't mine. Who can relate? I've been on a low, I've been taking my time. I feel like I'm out of my mind. I feel like my life ain't mine. I don't want to be alive. I don't want to be alive. I just want to die today. I just want to die. I don't want to be alive. 
everybody think they know it I've been praying for somebody to save me No one's heroic and my life don't even matter I know it, I know it, I know I'm hurting deep down But can't show it I never had a place to call my own I never had a home Ain't nobody calling my phone Where you been, where you at, what's on your mind They say every life precious but nobody care about mine so a couple of Canadian uh, connections to that song. That's Logic and 1-800-273-8255. Brampton, Ontario's own Alessia Cara sings on that. And the video was directed by Avondale, Nova Scotia's own Andy Hines. So you're going to hear more of my conversation with Logic coming up after this, including his uh, retirement, which he's now back from. And you're going to hear from Preston Pablo, who's sort of on the other side. His rise to stardom so fast... He's having a hard time staying present in it. More cute coming up. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Yeah. My anxiety was taking over. Remove the devil, let my faith go fill a slot like a tame and dola. I finally made it to the And the reason I was looking for the negativity is because it was like I wanted to fight with it or even internally prove why I belong or I all this when it's just like, dude, none of what are you doing? Like, why are you focused on this? People love you, bro. Just chill. Go smoke a joint. Not the end of the sentence that I was anticipating, but not, not bad advice either. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to you're in the middle of my conversation with the rapper Logic, who is one of the most streamed artists of our time. We've been talking about his rise to fame, about focusing on positivity, even though the environment he came up in was one of uh, you know, crime and, and violence and addiction. But I had this conversation on the way into the studio to talk to Logic that I wanted to ask him about. So in 2020, Logic made news. After he became a dad, he announced his retirement. Just take a listen. I was on my way in here and someone said, who are you talking to? And I said, I'm talking to Logic. And they said, I thought he retired. Yeah. So 2020, I had my baby and I was just over the internet. If I'm going to be honest, I kind of got bullied off the internet. I'm just going to be real. Bullied like, by, by, by who? About what? Just media. Just like, you know, it's just always some shit. It's, you know, I hope your baby dies. Your wife's ugly. Blah, You're blah, kidding blah. me, really? Like, yeah. Like, but, but you see this every day all the time. I remember selling out Madison Square Garden and hearing, Logic. And I get off the stage and I'm on a high and I go to my phone because I'm addicted. I go to my phone and my timeline's like, you're trash, you're ass, you're garb, you suck, you the and it's like this juxtaposition of Madison Square Garden. Yeah. It's a real it's a real thing, man. But this is mind you, this is also like four years ago. Yeah, of so course, of course, of course. Big, big different uh, you know, a mental state here. But yeah, I just needed a break. And I think for me, I was convinced I was retired, but it was more so like from the bullshit of the internet in a way. I don't know. It was just a, it was a really weird few years, especially through the pandemic. But I came out the other side realizing like what matters and what doesn't. 
I'm a human being. If people say things about me, it's going to hurt. It's yeah. who I am. Yeah. But what I am in charge of is how much it hurts and how long it hurts. And this is something I'm saying in every interview that I'm doing, all this, you know, whenever I'm talking about this, it's very important. Like it's, I used to be so upset with myself that negative comments would hurt me. Of course they're going to hurt, dude. I'm not a robot. And that makes me even happier. And so through therapy and time and realizing that my son is healthy and my wife is healthy, and that's truly all that matters, I've just found a, a level of peace uh, that I could have never dreamed of. And that's useful for me, man. I've never thought about that before. I get negative comments on, on a, a lot. And I've, up until now, thought, because people will say to me when I show them, the, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, this thing, they'll make me feel bad that it bothered me. They'll make me feel bad. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. I've had to do it in hip hop. I get it, bro. Like it sucks. Like there's people that's like, you hey man, you rap. You gotta have tough skin. Oh yeah, really? Literally when like bro, I've seen comments where so I'm in a video game, right? One of my one of my favorite video games of all time is called The Last of Us. There's a new show out. Yeah, yeah. Popping. Huge. Yeah. And in the second game, I mean, I played this game for like 10 straight years. And then in the second game, I got to be this character and you're killed. I'm killed by the main character and you get the best gun in the game off my dead body, which is epic. Okay. And I read this comment. Somebody was like, oh, dope. I killed logic. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's kind of funny, whatever. But then the comment underneath was, no, unfortunately, it wasn't in real life. Oh, fine. Damn. Boy. Like that's like some deep you know what I mean? But I'm like, you just got to let it go, man. You got to let it go. And this is what I subject myself to because I'm in the public eye. But the thing is, is how you navigate it. I'm not on the internet. I'm not in comments. I'm not. And I used to be, man. I used to be on Reddit. Yeah. I used to like really go into this world. Now I don't. Sure. If I drop a new video, I'll go see the first 10 comments on a YouTube because it's my fans. And I want to see I want to be loved. I put it out for them. Yeah. I put it out for them to be like, good job. You know what I mean? And so I'm going to, I'm going to go check that out. And every now and again, I'll, I'll check out a new video or this or that, just to get that little bit of love that I do need as a, as an artist, as opposed to what I used to really do, which was just ignore the love because the love is so much that I was looking for the negativity. And the reason I was looking for the negativity is because it was like I wanted to fight with it or even internally prove why I belong or I did all this when it's just like, dude, none of – what are you doing? Yeah, like no, why no. are you focused on this? People love you, bro. Just chill. Go smoke a joint. Shout out, Weed. Shout out, Weed. Uh, we got like 20 seconds left before they're going to before they're gonna kill me. Uh, not in a video game, but they're going to – because I talked to you for too long because I'm going to be – not allowed to talk to you anymore. Um, but in the, in the, I'm going to take the time and I'm going to take it. You've talked to me about a lot of different things that you could be really proud of. Having, having a kid, um, taking, taking back your mental health, taking back your sense of validation, getting out of a, a really bad situation you were sort of born into, helping out other people. But my, the feeling I get is that when, now that we have an opportunity to look back, the thing that you are most proud of, that that would be the thing that I would be interested to know. I would have to say that I'm most proud of who I am as a person. I'm not perfect. I'm flawed, but I'm a good person. I'm funny. I care about the people that I love. I'm me, man. I'm me. And even, even when it was hard to be me and I was scared to be me, I was still me. Even if I was a little quiet or didn't speak up as much or speak my mind, I'm, I'm proud that they didn't break me, man. That's what I'm most proud of. They tried the world, not rap. Hip hop, hip hop's a beautiful place, 
but the world, they really tried, man. And there was days when I thought they did. I thought they did. I felt like they did, but they didn't. And I'm most proud that I woke up every day and kept going. I really like talking to you, man. Thanks so much for making the time. Well, thank you for a wonderful uh, interview. I hope we get to do this again. And this was really special. Thank you for asking me legitimate, awesome, meaningful questions. I appreciate you. Thank you. Wake Up featuring Lucy Rose from the rapper Logic from his brand new album College Park. That record is available now wherever you stream your music. And my conversation with Logic, he said if you want to share it with a Logic fan or an illogical fan, <laughs> I'm so sorry. You can find it on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Q with Tom Power. Exciting weekend ahead at the Junos. One of the big things that's happening on Monday night at the award show is that one of Canada's greatest rock bands ever is finally being inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. I say finally because I would have thought Nickelback would have been in there by now. I got to tell you, they don't feel that way. They're kind of surprised that it's happening at all. Here's a little preview of our conversation. I even cut my hair and changed my name Cause we all just want to be what does that mean to you, Undeserved. I'm like, I just keep saying, I, I feel like, uh, you know, we're not seasoned enough to be there yet. I feel like that. that's for, I feel like that's for the really good artists. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, like, you guys are one of the best-selling Canadian acts in history. Yeah, selling is just one thing. I mean, sales is, uh, but I, again, I just don't feel like, you know, you see these legendary lifetime artists. I mean, maybe it's just an age thing, you know, I just, I think you're supposed to be sort of 60 when you get it so you know i'm not sure what it is about uh the whole the whole thing um it's you you do feel like an imposter Uh, you feel like a you know like you've just sort of faked your way here and you have you have no you have no <laughs> reason. You just have. It's, you just do not deserve to be to be there. Chad, that's really interesting to me. You can tell, right? Like that that you are in one of the best selling bands of all time. That you have at least two or three songs that I think will be played forever. Oh, you were expecting an answer like "bout time." <laughs> I wasn't expecting. I don't deserve it, mm. and I feel like an imposter when you have one hundred and seventy five thousand people showing up to you in a different continent. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's. Uh, I wait. It just went to one seventy five. Keep the story. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I I don't know why, but I, I can kind of compare it in my head. If I if I if I hear like, okay, the tragically hip is inducted in the Hall of Fame, I'm like, of course. Yes. Makes, yes. Makes sense. Makes sense. When I hear our name, yeah. it's hard to wrap your head around. It really is. It's like I'm like I instantly kind of head scratch for a second. Like, just absolutely amazing and flattering that, especially in Canada, it really does mean a lot to us. On Monday, you're going to hear my conversation with Nickelback on cue. The Junos are happening Monday night in Edmonton. I'll be on stage in Edmonton Sunday night interviewing Simu Liu. Still tickets available for that. JunoAwards.ca.
Do you want to feel in the loop? Like, if I said to you, you're going to hear the next big Canadian pop star, what do you think it would sound like? Well, take a listen to this. Still dripping on a plug. I'm so fresh and so fly. I decided that I'm that guy. First class on the flight to Dubai. I'll tell you, that's what it sounds like. That's Timmins, Ontario's very own Preston Pablo with I.I.I. Preston's been making music since he was a kid. At 21, the ripe, the ripe old age of 21, he's up for three Junos. He's performing at the awards show. He's got millions of streams even before he's released a debut album. And what makes all of this so much more surreal is that not that long ago, Preston was living back in Timmins, making music in his bedroom, working in a sawmill and I had given up on the idea of being a musician. And understandably, when everything happens that fast, it leaves you with a lot of questions. Why me? How did I get so lucky? And am I good enough? Here's my conversation with Preston Pablo. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, you're, you're, I want to follow up on something you were telling me right before. Yeah. Let's get right into it. How are you feeling about that microphone? You feeling good? Yeah, I'm feeling good. Okay. Does it sound good? How, how do I sound? You sound, sound great. Okay. You sound good. Okay, You're good. Great. They're very good. good. I can I can be back here. Okay. So it's got you, some range. You were telling me, not unlike myself, <laughs> you were telling me... <laughs> That you're, I asked you, so you're playing the mm-hmm. Junos. Yes, I am. You're, um, what I sense from you is mm-hmm. both excitement about the Juno performance mm-hmm. and the nominations. Yeah. And then perhaps some trepidation or some... Yeah, a little bit, a little bit of that mixed in. Um, yeah, I think because I'm so new in this space and in this industry and in my career, um, being nominated for, for three Junos while also performing at the Junos is like just a lot for me. All at once, which I'm very grateful for, very excited. But um, yeah, it's it's a little nerve wracking just because it's such a big stage and it's such a historical and legendary name in Canadian music. So to be there and represent it and be nominated for some Junos is is scary. I feel like you're you're constantly reminding yourself to be grateful for it because yeah. the vibe I got from you was like I'm terrified. Yeah. It is anxiety inducing. Yeah. It is terrifying. Mind you, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. My, mind yeah. you, I'm it's, grateful. It's almost like a little self meditation. I have to say, like throw it in there. Grateful, grateful, grateful. Just to not forget that I am very grateful, but it uh, the stress and the 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 feeling of being overwhelmed definitely is is a present one. How was growing up in Timmins? I don't know that much about Timmins. Mm-hmm. Growing up there was it was great. I it was something that I learned to appreciate a little more after I left, I think. But yeah, growing up there was good because it really, it was, it's a very isolated place. It's far from any like major city and it's very Northern. So I grew up doing a lot of outdoorsy stuff like hunting, fishing, and just hanging out with my friends, spending like the majority of my time outside, whether that was in the summer or in the winter, I was always just outside being the most like normal kid ever biking around, getting into trouble, falling down, getting cuts on my body, bruising myself. Just it, it really like gave me a lot of character and, and turned me into like this normal northern kid. So that when I left I felt very like different and very very myself. Because when I came like to a bigger city like Toronto, it's uh it just really showed me that I was I was unique. My understanding of the trajectory for you is that you uh, like it it goes it goes kind of like making music, mm-hmm. not making music, mm-hmm. and then being a musician. So let's yeah. let's start at yeah. the beginning. When did you start making music? So I was like thirteen ish, yeah. and I started playing the drums. 
In just at the house or with other people? Uh, yeah, I, I was taking lessons, and then my parents, like, my parents had bought me a drum kit and then put me in lessons. So I would just, like, take the lesson, come back, and jam on my drums. It was very, like, weird because I didn't, growing up in Timmins, like, not a lot of my friends played instruments. They were all into sports, hockey, basketball, whatever. I was the only one that kind of was into music, so I didn't really have anyone to play with. I would just, like, be drumming to songs in my headphones. And that kind of led to, like, me picking up the guitar and I didn't put out a song until I was actually 18. And then I took a bit of a break from music. I went to school for a bit, and then quickly figured out it wasn't for me, left school, moved back to Timmins, and then that's when I really just started focusing more on music and putting more of my time into it. When did you work at the Lumberyard? That was so after I had left school, <laughs> I worked at the Lumberyard in Timmins for like a year. Why do you think you didn't just go music the whole way why do you think you needed to take mm. a detour and go to school and work in other jobs my understanding of like a career in music was very minimal when i thought of a career in music it was like the weekend justin bieber like a huge star or nothing i didn't really understand like the steps and like how you can build a career as a new artist and be up and coming and spend years traveling and playing shows and kind of like build it organically yeah. in my head it was just like the biggest or like nothing at all. Because the story with Justin Bieber is mm -hmm. that he is singing covers on YouTube yeah. and then is subject to a bidding war yeah. between Usher all and Justin sudden, Timberlake exactly. and then the next thing he's the biggest star in the entire exactly, world. Yeah. And you were like, if it's not that, it's, it's nothing. nothing. Yeah. That was, that was, that's how I, how I thought of it. And I think being in Tim is really like, I didn't have access to resources like studios or I didn't there was no music community there's no venues where I could go see shows so I didn't really get that like I didn't get the gauge of being an up-and-coming artist and building to that point what changes a lot of people around me were like really encouraging me I think I had a hard time believing in myself that's that's something that was definitely a part of the problem what do you mean I'm very self-destructive in that sense where I care so much. I'm, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. So when I was putting out music and it was getting like 10,000 streams, my brother, who's like an artist as well, and he was a big influence on me at the time, and he still is, but he would always tell me like, no, nah, this is crazy. This is great. Like 10,000 streams is insane. But to me, I would feel bad about it because I thought like, damn, it's not 100,000. Like I was always, I could never like appreciate where I was at and what I was doing. Why do you think you're so self-critical? Uh, I don't know. It's something that I've. It's just some. Uh, I've always been that way. I think I want to make everyone proud. I've always wanted to just do good. I don't like losing or feeling embarrassed when something doesn't go right. Especially now that everyone has access to watching what's going on. Like now that I'm in the public eye, it's it's a lot scarier. It feels. Like, it sounds to me like you feel like there's a lot of potential that people have for you that you have to live up to. Yeah, and I think I'm. I'm definitely learning how to trust myself more, and yeah. I'm learning how to like be more confident. But it's definitely been a challenge for me, and it's something that's always been a challenge. Like I remember writing, writing papers in school, and like if the letter wasn't up to the standard that I thought it should be at, like I would erase the the same letter fifty times until the page would rip. Yeah, like just being so obsessed with like doing the best that I can do and making everyone proud and just feeling like it's perfect. But that's, but that doesn't exist. Exactly. And it does especially doesn't exist in, in the arts and it especially yeah. doesn't exist in the Canadian or in the music industry in general. So how do yeah. you, what, what did you do to get past that? Like, cause you obviously did, you obviously put out some music yeah. like, and that requires an acceptance that 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it did work out, but there, did, that yeah. does require an acceptance that it might not. Yeah, I think leaning on people close to me helped a lot. My team, my mm-hmm. family, my mom and dad have always been huge supporters of what I do, and they've always been like, no matter what I did, if it was anything, they would be my biggest supporters. So I think just having them always encouraging me and my brother, who I mentioned before, um, he really pushed me a lot to to not give up and just to keep pursuing music like i remember when i was in school for a short amount of time i had kind of just like stopped making music yeah and he would call me all the time and ask me like have have you written a song yet like are you working on music what's what are you doing what's new and yeah just really encouraged me to do to keep doing music are your parents in the arts what, what, what do they do for They're not me? my mom is a teacher my dad is a police officer <laughs> oh no way yeah. in timmins yeah so this was a weird world for them too a teacher yeah. and a police officer for yeah. the son to go to them like hey i'm gonna i'm gonna take a, mm-hmm. a try at the riskiest career path in the yeah. world they were definitely nervous and they still are very nervous they're very protective and they just want what's best for me so they like to uh they like to call me a lot and make sure Sweet. i'm doing all right and everything is good well i mean let's let's talk about how well it's going mm-hmm. you have not 10,000 streams. Yeah. <laughs> I have uh, quite a few more now. Do, do you know the number? I don't anymore, no. You have millions yeah. and millions and millions of yeah. streams. You're up for three Junos. You performed your first show less than one year ago. Yeah. And now you're performing on this massive stage and you're, it's, it's really happening. Can you tell me something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give me a good thing mm-hmm. and a challenging thing about all of this happening so fast? I think a good thing about all of it happening so fast is I get to do something that really feels like it matters. I think music has always been something that is very important to me. It's always been my way of like communicating my thoughts and it's very, very therapeutic for me. So I think having the opportunity to do it as a job and as a career, um, it's a blessing, and it's something that I I try my best not to take not to take for granted. Something that's challenging, though. I mean, there's so many things that are challenging, but a recent challenge for me has just been trusting myself as an artist. Um, because of everything that's happened, and because of how fast it's all happened, I feel like it kind of put me into this weird place where I was questioning it, a lot of it. And now that now that I'm here, I have to realize like. I'm here because of a lot of the things that I did. Hold on, you were questioning like whether you deserve it or Yeah, I feel like it's just something that I've I've listened to other artists speak as well, just yeah. about like success and, and their career in general. And I feel like it's something that a lot of artists can relate to, just feeling like, Why am I here? Like yeah. why is this me? Like, do I deserve this? You yeah. know what I mean? And just the contrast of everything, like coming from Timmins and being such a normal kid and not really I never pictured myself being an artist on the stage and being in front of people and being in this light i just loved music and i loved writing it i didn't expect it to really turn into this so now that i'm here it's just this crazy like whirlwind of thoughts so i think a lot of the times i find myself just questioning everything in my experience the people who Mm -hmm. question it and the people who are on stage going is why is this supposed to be me Mm -hmm. and the people who are going like um who aren't taking it for granted Mm -hmm. are the people who last the longest in this Mm -hmm. industry i'll tell you that much Mm -hmm. i don't know much yeah obviously but i know that Mm -hmm. um i think that's that's not a bad way to go about Mm -hmm. it you know yeah i just i mean it's it's not every day that this kind of stuff happens. So I just really yeah. I want it to last. I don't want to make it work. And like I said, I just really want to make everyone proud and do do my best. 
Come on. What else That's do you want it, besides man. that? We're going to play. It. We're going to play. Everyone's smiling out there for God's sake. You're making <laughs> us all very proud of you too. And I just thank met you. you. Yeah, we're going to play Flowers Need Rain uh, now. This is the one that has like, I think I, I, think I saw 181 million when That's I came crazy. in. That's crazy. Oh my God. That's stressing me out right here. Think about that. how many people, if you were to take 181 million people <laughs> yeah, and that's put them. Insane. Oh, my God. Picture all those people. I can't picture that many people. I can't people. picture that many people. That's how many people listen to your song. Well, thank you to every single one of you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about, well, like, what I want to hear is mm-hmm. I'm about to play it for a bunch of people who have never yeah. heard it before. What do you want them to know as they listen to it? For me, this song is, it's an anchor for me. I wrote it at a time where I was very stressed out, very overwhelmed and in the same position, questioning a lot of things. And this song was kind of an answer to some of the questions I had. So I hope this song makes makes other people feel like they've got the answers to the questions they have. Beautiful. Here he is singing Flowers Need Rain. That's it. Cause I need you like the flowers need the rain. I need you like the sun when the clouds turn gray. Oh, you like the blood running through my veins. I love you until now and forever away. Yeah, bunks and rocks. Sometimes I feel so lonely. Feels like there is no one around to hold me. And my head gets dark and heavy. But then I see your face. And I can only hope for the best. And I can only breathe with my chest. One step at a time, oh, you take me. You're leaving me blind, but don't leave me. Cause I need you like the flowers need the rain. I need you like the sun when the clouds turn gray. Good song. Preston Pablo and Flowers Need Rain. Before that, you heard my conversation with Preston, who's up for three Juno Awards. He'll be performing at the show. That's all going down in Edmonton this Monday. You turn the noise in a silence. I hid from your violence, but no. Here's something interesting. The song you just heard, it was produced by Banks and Ranks, who are from Montreal. They had a gigantic hit in the UK. And they're going to be on cue tomorrow to tell you how they want to turn Canada into the next Sweden. We're not, this is not the current, not, not like a news way, but they want to turn Canada into the next global hub for pop music. And they're going to do it through artists like Preston Pablo. They'll be on the show tomorrow. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.